This is the Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Catch Stan every weekday at 2 on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. Chargers a lot of folks up at the line of scrimmage and gets the shotgun snap. He's back. He throws a pass, and it is intercepted, running up the field, the left sideline. And that is Derwin James. He's still on his feet. He's up over the 40, the 45, but he got a marker down on the play. Let's see why. Now a little thing, razzle-dazzle, and straight up the middle comes James Conner. Go for the end zone. He's in for the touchdown from 26 yards out. Started to lose his balance, but you know, maybe in the past, if James Conner, 15 pounds heavier, might have lost his balance. He kept it and scampered for the touchdown. We're going to be thoughtful in, in what we choose to do. We better be able to do all things well. Sometimes we're going to be run heavy. Sometimes we're going to be pass heavy at the end of the day. We better be a group that's capable of attacking in both and provide that type of a balance, if you can call it balance. And I'm comfortable that we're still working in that trajectory. It's kind of a bad news, not quite as bad news for the Steelers today. The bad news is that they've lost James Conner, certainly for this week. He's already been declared out maybe longer, given that it sounds like a high ankle sprain. Every Pittsburgh sports fan knows what those can be like. It can sometimes take up to a month, depending on the severity. The not quite as bad news, and it's still bad news, is that given the way the Steelers have played offense this year, losing James Conner may not be as significant as it might uh, have been, and frankly, it should be. And I say that because the Steelers' imbalance in terms of pass-to-run ratio is striking. That's the question that I asked Mike Tomlin during the press conference. That was his response. We're going to talk about the Steelers passing versus the run game. How, if at all, will that be affected with now James Conner out for at least this, this game and probably more? I'm wondering when the NFL will fess up and admit the mistakes that the officials made Sunday night. Bob Labriola of Steelers.com wrote a good article about that on the Steelers.com website. He'll be joining me today at around 1.20. Here's how you get involved in the show, 412-922-2874. Pound 970 on your cell. You can email me, stansaverin at iheartmedia.com. You can post on Facebook, Saverin on Sports, or tweet at Stan Love the Show. You always can check the Facebook page. I post up what we're going to be talking about each day. It's up there by about 11.15 before we normally go on the air at noon. Same thing on Twitter, at Stan Love the Show. Give you an idea of what we're going to be talking about, the questions that I'm posing to you, plus the guests that we have for that day's show. I've been concerned about the Steelers' pass-to-run ratio. They pass twice as much as they run. And it's not like they don't have a good runner and a good offensive line. Just the numbers in general. The Steelers are last in the AFC in rushing offense and 29th overall in the NFL. They are one of only seven teams under averaging under 100 yards rushing per game. 
And again, it's not like they're not capable of running. They just choose not to. Now, someone is going to argue that they're averaging 30 points a game, which they do, and their pass offense has been prolific. But I still think that you look at the number of interceptions that Ben has thrown, 13 in 12 games now, and I think that's likely a product if it makes sense that the more you throw, the more chance there is for an interception. We used the analogy last week in one of the shows to basketball. If you run a half-court offense, you're less likely to turn the ball over than if you run a fast-break offense at breakneck speed. Chances are you're going to commit more turnovers because you're rushing the ball up the floor. And I think it stands to reason that the more you throw, the more chance there is for an interception. Now, the balance there, the quid pro quo, is scoring a lot of points, which the Steelers have done. However, let's also remember something. That their points per game is skewed to a degree by scoring 51 against Carolina. You take that one game, and that tends to up the averages a little bit. And certainly, like last week, when you score 30, you ought to be able to win. But in the last four games, last three games, excuse me, three of them losses, they did score the 30. But in the other two, they scored 17 against Denver and 16 against Jacksonville in a win. And you'll, or excuse me, 20 against Jacksonville in that win. But as you know, they were behind 16-0 in that game. Just a couple of numbers for you about the pass-run ratio. And keep in mind again now, they're last in the AFC in rushing offense, and you can counter by saying that they are 7-4-1 and and that they average 30 points a game. But it's not like they're trying to cover up for the lack of a running offense. When When they've chosen to run, they do okay. The Baltimore game, which they won, the game in Baltimore, they rushed 27 times for 113 yards, averaged over four per carry against a very good defense, committed no turnovers, they did pass 48 times. But at least that's not the 2-to-1 ratio. In the Carolina game, which they blew out the Panthers, they rushed 22 times for 95 yards, 4.3 yards per carry. They threw only 27 times, and they scored 52 points. In the Jacksonville game, they ran only 11 times. For 26 yards, 2.4 per carry. They threw 47 times, but there were also three interceptions in that game. The Denver loss, they ran only 16 times for 47 yards. But their average was not great, but they threw 58 times. And they only scored 17 points. Four turnovers, two interceptions. Turnovers always factor in. And in the Charger game, 
They ran 22 times for 85 yards, 3.9 per carry. James Conner averaged four yards per carry. But they threw 45 times in that game and, of course, scored the 30 points. It'd be one thing if you said, well, this team doesn't run very well, so let's not run. That's not at all the case. Now, the not quite as bad news concerning the bad news involving James Conner is that given how infrequently they've chosen to run, hypothetically, would that lessen or minimize Conner's loss? Now, there are other things to consider here. His pass blocking, we don't know what kind of job Ridley will do. We don't know what kind of job Jalen Samuels will do. And also Connor's effectiveness in the pass game. My guess is the Steelers will start Ridley but use Samuels in passing situations or a combination thereof. But given how little they've chosen to run, again, two-to-one pass-to-run ratio, will that somewhat minimize the loss of James Connor? My answer would be they should be using Connor more than they did and that should at least partially answer the question. I think that predates the injury to James Conner, which cannot be construed as a good thing. Meantime, when might the NFL publicly admit their officiating gaffes? I asked Mike Tomlin today at the press conference, has the organization received any phone calls, which is often the case on Tuesday or Wednesday. We're sorry. I mean, Bill Cower used to always say, Mike Pereira called me yesterday, and I just wondered if they still do that. Tomlin's response was, I'm not going to reveal whether the organization got any calls or not. I think we all know that mistakes were made. Gene Steratore, now working for CBS, was on the DV Morning Show and said, on the three successive field goals, it did appear as though the center, who likes to do that, there was movement in the ball, which would induce someone to charge offside. And I'll mention something that I mentioned on the postgame show on the network after the game. Joe Schobert, the inside linebacker for the Browns, he tweeted out and said that the Browns, when they played the Chargers, complained to the official, hey, that guy moves the ball when he's snapping for a punt or a field goal, and it was largely ignored. Well, it was either not seen or ignored on Sunday night. Bob Labrioli of Steelers.com wrote a really good article on Steelers.com about the officiating and the field goals in particular. Bob will be joining me next. We're broadcasting from the Steelers facility on the south side. It's Saverin on Sports on ESPN Pittsburgh. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Here's the snap. River steps up, has time. He's going to throw it long down the field. There's Uh-oh. a man under, underneath it, and it is caught for a touchdown. That's Travis Benjamin, who got around Mike Hilton. And a, four, a 46-yard bomb. Is there a marker on the field? I could have sworn the right tackle jumped. Oh, yeah. there should be. Yeah. Tevi jumped. He was off way too soon. But it wasn't called by the officiating crew. Headed by Stevie Wonder, apparently. 
And there were other issues in that game, as uh, we all know, the block in the back on Brian Allen. Uh, no crying aloud. I've already heard from Seattle fans saying, oh, you said we were whining in 2005, except for one thing. Every one of those calls in that Super Bowl, in Super Bowl 40, was proven to be correct, except for the interference call on Jeremy, against Jeremy Stevens in the end zone. The other ones were all correctly called. Be that as it may, revisionist history, Bob Labriola, Steelers.com. That was us. my major. In college, revisionist revisionist history, history absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Except they don't grade on that, uh, unfortunately. Um, you wrote a, a piece on Steelers dot com uh, about the officiating, and you know we talked uh, about all those other calls, which were blatant and obvious. Uh, but you spent time, Bob, focusing on the field goals and about, as I mentioned, the long snapper has a tendency to do that. Did the video sort of exonerate the Steelers there, or did it really point a finger at the officials for missing it? The video showed that the guy was moving the ball. I mean, I, I you know, the the uh, the Joe Schobert um, tweet that you mentioned uh, right before the break, uh, you know, first of all, he's a Browns linebacker, so I don't think he's coming to the Steelers' defense because he's a Steelers fan. Um, but his point that he made – uh, was that they they alerted the officials that this guy was doing it. Okay, that happened Sunday as well. Uh, the crew was told by our sideline that the guy's moving the ball. This is before the final sequence? Oh, yeah. I mean, he does it on every – this isn't something that he just does, um, you know, did at the end. This is what he does, uh, and it's illegal. I mean, they called it in the Dallas game. Uh, was it Thanksgiving or one, whatever? Maybe it was the, the Dallas game before Thanksgiving. And they penalized the guy for an illegal snap. It's, it's in the rules that um, you can't do that. Okay, and Danny Smith, the Steelers special teams coordinator, I mean, he's, he's OCD about that kind of stuff. I mean, and he's all over that. And I, as I said, the, the crew on Sunday was notified by our sideline that this guy is doing that. Now, uh, I, I, I don't know this, but I would imagine, you know, Joe Schobert's part of his tweet said that the referee told them, well, he does that all the time. We're not going to call that. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Can you, can you, can you hold all the time yeah, and they won't I, call I, that? I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I'm the right guard. I hold all the time, but I do it every single play, so therefore. you Right. Everybody should know that I hold. And so um, because, you know, what, what bothered me a little bit was, you know, the instant analysis of either the Steelers during those last three kicks uh, either being, you know, and you always hear this, the undisciplined charge. You know, Mike Tomlin can't control his players that they were either undisciplined or there was some intent to injure, um, you know, the, the Chargers kicker because, and this is another one I never have understood, and the Ravens do this, uh, it should be unabated to the kicker like it's unabated to the quarterback. If a guy comes in clean before the snap, they should blow the whistle because Boswell got hit a couple of times by Ravens players uh, on made field goals at the end of games last year. Now, you know, uh, you could break a kicker's leg pretty easy. And if they're going to only char uh, uh you know, the guy makes the kick or misses the kick and it's only a five-yard penalty, that's a decent exchange. I mean, if you're looking at it totally cold-blooded. So 
uh, that should have changed. I mean, that, that rule should be in because in those instances, I think for sure the last of the three on Sunday against the Chargers would have been whistled dead immediately. Um, and the other thing that the film showed was that Joe Hayden was not offside. On so the that was my next question. Did the video, penalty aside, the snapper moving the ball aside, was he? Hayden said after the game that he was not offside. No, um, and uh, we did it. Uh, part of the um, programming we have on Steelers.com, Tunch does it, Chalk Talk. And um, he said he watched it frame by frame. He was not offside. So um, there's that. Uh, I don't know. You know, I'm still waiting to hear from Al. <laughs> well, I mean, it's interesting because, uh, you know, I remember back in the days when the Steelers were uh, on the short end of some officiating calls that Cower would always say at his press conference, well, Mike Pereira called me back when he was the – Yeah. Uh, and I'm wondering if the league – and I asked – you heard me ask him the question. Mike didn't want to answer right. uh, you know, that particular question. Let me ask you follow-up, and there was a debate on this on the postgame show. Um, gentleman was calling from Maryland, calling Charlie Batch and I, and talked about should the NFL, if not expand replay, then include that – in one of the challenges, or as I suggested, if there is an egregious mistake made on the field, which on a play they can overturn, that the league can call down and say, wait a minute, that was a false start. Where do you fall on that? Well, you know, there have been different uh, permutations of that latter um, suggestion that you had in terms of either another guy in the booth upstairs watching for things like that. Um, you know the league calling. You know I, I, I don't I don't know. I mean it seems to me uh, you're treating uh, the injury the wrong way. You know my question is how in the name of all that is holy yeah. can you be standing there and not see that? And if you're not if you don't see it, you need your eyes checked. And if there's seven of them out there. And and the other thing is that's blatant incompetence. Uh, my feeling always is get better officials not more replay um and because if you add another guy then that guy's going to want to justify his existence there his paycheck whatever and he's going to start involving himself and that means more more calls more penalties more whatever and it, mike tomlin said this today it is uh presser that's not good entertainment I mean, it's, it's the sports entertainment business, and more challenges and more and all that stuff is not good entertainment. And, you know, the, the, the notion, and I'll go back to what Chuck Knoll said. I hate to sound like Dungeon Wolf. I'll go back <laughs> to what uh, Chuck Knoll said in 1986 when they came up with this idea. You know, Chuck was told, well, replay is being instituted to get the calls right. And he said, but what if it doesn't? And it doesn't. Because when you were watching the game uh, uh, Sunday night against the Chargers, and you ha if you ha were at home and you have a color TV and you have the benefit of the, the first down marker, and NBC also did this really neat thing on that Juju Smith-Schuster play where Mike Tomlin uh, ch uh, challenged the spot and they upheld the call on the field. They darkened, you know, in, in addition to the yellow line, they darkened the, the, the turf where it would have been a first down. Okay, and it clearly, based on all their technology, it was a first down, but they didn't 
they didn't uphold the challenge. And so that's my question. Okay, replay. It, it, it was instituted. It was implemented. But it still doesn't get it right. So the only solution, in my mind, is better officials. Um, I don't, I've never understood why it takes 20 years for a guy to get an NFL job. Because by the time he gets the job, he's too old. He's 45 at least. That's too old to be running around with those guys. I mean, it, I don't understand. You, you can, the, the NFL, NFL teams, billion-dollar enterprises, will take a 20-year-old kid and put him in at quarterback. He plays. Baker Mayfield, 22, whatever he is, Carson Wentz, Josh Allen, all these guys we've seen the last few years play as rookies at, at, at I believe, the most difficult position in the sport, right? quarterback in terms of what it requires physically mentally all that stuff I, you, can, you can't tell me you can't take a 21 year old somewhat athletic teach him the game teach him the sport and in five to six years he can't be an official i mean <laughs> I, joe maroon was doing surgery without 20 years of experience before you know they gave him a, for his first scalpel I I, I, just, I don't understand it. I, I and so um, my uh, philosophy, my position on all of this has always been: they need to do something to get better officials instead of continually trying to build more layers of bureaucracy onto the incompetence. Well, uh, you know, again, as far as experience and, and athleticism, Willie Nelson could have called that false start penalty sitting in a wheelchair. Another thing that was suggested to me, and I haven't been able to track this down yet. What I one of the other things that the, the Chargers were doing is, because remember all the penalties on the special teams, they were having players run down, get in front of a Steeler guy, and then stop. So you hit him in the back. Throw yeah. the flag. Um you know, that's uh, smart to me. Yeah, it's smart. But there should be – see, that's supposedly why these guys need 20 years of experience, to have the discretion and understanding to know, you know, what is um, an actual foul and what is, you know, just a little bit of gamesmanship, say. Um, so – but it seems right now we're having the worst of all worlds. They're, they're old, they're slow, and they have no judgment. <laughs> Well, I'm just wondering, they did fire an official. Yeah, one guy. One guy. Uh, off, the, off the crew that uh, was doing the San Diego game. Right. right. Uh, and it's interesting, uh, the only way you ever find out, if an, outside of that particular circumstance, you find out that an official is gone, is if you look in that white spiraled notebook that you get beginning of every year and it lists the officials, and you have to compare that list with the list from the previous year because they never announce it. They'll announce a retirement, but if there's somebody who was fired for incompetence, they never say a word. Or, unless they're trying to say, look at us. Yeah. I'm very, very cynical about, um, you know, because, you know, fines are supposed to be confidential. Drug suspensions are supposed to be confidential. But whenever the league really needs any of that information out, it always seems to get out. If they want to look tough on discipline, look at us. We just fined this guy for whatever. We just suspended this guy for whatever. Uh, they want to look tough. 
want want to reassure the fans that hey we're on top of this officiating thing hey we fired that guy because he made a mistake uh in a game missed a false start ironically enough um so has yeah. it been determined whose responsibility that should have been i to me i don't any one of them could have called well when, when you look at the way they're they're deployed for an offensive play you got two guys in the offensive backfield the referee and the umpire are both in the backfield on either side of the quarterback. Um, so you also have the guys on the line, uh, the line judge and the down judge, I think it's called now, rather than the headlinesman, or maybe it's the headlinesman and the down judge. I don't know. But you also have a guy on e- either side of the line of scrimmage. Anybody can call that. Uh, you know, the back judge could have called that one. It was so obvious. So, you know, I don't know that it was a situation where you know, a specific guy, that's his call, and so he should have thrown the flag, and when he didn't, then nobody else did. Um, I, 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 have no, I, I, can't, I couldn't even create uh, a scenario for you here uh, why that was missed by as many people as it was. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just, you know, you lose a game by three points on a field goal kicked on an untimed down. Um, you know, it, it, you start looking at these things, uh, and you just, uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I, you go back, uh, and uh, naturally people were complaining about it, uh, justifiably so, but the thing about the, the, the false start penalty, as bad as it was, is that even with that, the Steelers th- still then jetted out to score the next 10 points and were up 23-7. to seven. Now, you could make the argument that that gave the Chargers an emotional lift, but it was somewhat negated by how well the Steelers played at the end of the half. I think for the seventh time this year, scored at the end of the half, and they were getting the ball to begin the second half. Things certainly looked great at that point, even with that egregious omission. Sure, and there were a lot of there were a lot of uh, uh, mistakes slash blown opportunities slash gaffes by the Steelers throughout that game uh, that we could cite, and I did a lot of that uh, for what I wrote after the game uh, and point to it as the cause of that defeat. Um, I get all that. I do. Um, but here's something I was just thinking of, and I didn't, I didn't uh, br- uh, bring this point up. Sports gambling's legal now. You know, you do, do some of that kind of stuff, and, um, you know, I don't know how that, what that impact is going to be, uh, but that kind of a blown call, um, if it means the difference of, uh, you know, millions of dollars in Las Vegas and or uh, the Rivers Casino Gino. down the street yeah. now, since it's going to be legal everywhere, uh, you know, I don't know what the implications of that are going to be and, and what kind of pressure that then will be uh, meted on the league office about some of this stuff. Um, I'm just pointing out that, you know, um, it seems to that, uh, you know, until the mighty dollar uh, is impacted, the NFL can sometimes be very slow to uh, implement change or admit things or or whatever. And um, even though we both know, Stan, that nobody ever bets on football, no. but if it if it were to happen, um, you know, I, I don't know what that's going to be. So, although you know what. I never met a guy who lost a bet that didn't say immediately the fix was in, the game was fixed. <laughs> Every guy who's ever lost a bet, even if his final score is 55-3, to three, the fix was in, the I, refs. I, I, let me just – I know you're kidding, but I just want to make this point. I'm not suggesting that, I'm, that there was actually a fix. What I'm saying is the anger that will be uh, directed at 
officials and officiating and you know those kinds of things when that kind of gaff swings the outcome to a point where a bunch of people lost money who weren't gonna or you know and, and the key is is that the the anger in in Pittsburgh and Western PA was palpable because this it cost the Steelers a game but some guy sitting out in Albuquerque who placed a legal bet on the Steelers to cover the three and a half, whatever it was, and a play like that turns the game, yeah, now you're, that's where the anger is going to come from. There's no emotional attachment other than a guy's emotional attachment to his money. Yeah, and, um, you know, so, uh, again, I, 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 I still believe that the goal or the, um, the focus on all of this should be to get better officials rather than add more guys, add more replay. Um, I, I just, again, I, I keep going back to what Chuck said, but what if it doesn't? And there's been, in my mind, too many examples of that um, when it didn't. It doesn't get it right. Uh, you know, last year we had the whole um, issue with what's a catch, and what I could never understand was, you know, the golden rule with replay from the day that it was instituted was, unless there's incontrovertible visual evidence, you let the call on the field stand. They, they got totally away from that. Yeah. I mean, Steelers fans are very much uh, in tune with the Jesse James play, but that wasn't the only one in which Al Riveron or whoever was doing the replay went way out of their purview to change the call on the field. And that's just not the way it's supposed to be. And then we get into the Super Bowl, and it goes back. Because somebody got a phone call and said, hey, cut it out. Cut it out. And, uh, you know, the whole – and another one, the whole player safety initiative in 2010 didn't start till week six. All of a sudden and, – and I get the, the safety issue, and it, it – it's a good thing, and you don't want player, people having their brains scrambled and all that stuff. But all of a sudden, in that Cleveland game, what James Harrison had done for a 1,000 snaps and never gotten called for a penalty became illegal. I, I mean, I, you know, I, just like that. Well, you know, that stemmed from, not to get off on that tangent, uh, there was a game that the Eagles played in a couple of weeks before. And one of their linebackers, I don't remember his name, one of their linebackers was just knocked senseless, and he went to the sideline, but he wasn't checked by any of the Eagles' doctors because they were busy with somebody else. So they sent the guy back into the game, and he walked to the wrong huddle, and he was wobbling around, but they sent him back in the game, and people were going, what are you doing? And then all of a sudden, within about an hour and a half, the policy changed, but they 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 never explained it properly so the players could understand what was going on. Once they did, I mean, you've seen to a degree somewhat less of that. It seems to be resurfacing more now, but again, I think that's because, that once again, it's not clearly defined. Yeah, I mean, and and it's, it's, it's a much more minor issue when you're comparing it to someone's long-term health, um, but it's similar to moving the ball uh, before you snap it. Oh, he does it all the time. Well, it's I like mean, I, I, I don't know, and, and it's it, it's a good thing I'm not a coach. If you penalize him once, then he wouldn't do it all the time, or the or he wouldn't be in the league because if a if a long snapper is doing that, I mean, it's either 
a penalty for an illegal snap or, you know, and I think what was happening on the second and third one, the Steelers figured, well, they're they're not going to call it. Maybe we can time it. Yeah. Watch him doing it. And when he, you know, the first little movement, then you go figuring, you know, and then it's, you know, again, it's it's a situation of, um, you know, are you timing it right? You know, trying to like Casey Hampton was great at that when they would run forty yard dashes. He was always really good at. He would it, it, he didn't go early, but he got that like step head start on everyone else, so he wouldn't finish last. Um, I always admired the heck out of that. Off on a tangent, but um, yeah, not, it's 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 just not it's not a good look. It's not a good thing. I don't think. You know, that was a pretty good game. Uh, Sunday night for entertainment purposes, and it's too bad that here we are 48 hours later. We're talking about the officials. You know, the chief always said about the officials, they're like the football. They're an essential part of the game, but you should never even know they're there. Yeah. Well, somebody tweeted out um, Sunday night, there were a lot of issues in that uh, Dallas-New Orleans game, too, with officiating, and somebody tweeted out, when your two high-profile games have horrible officiating, it's not a good look. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what I agree 100%. Yeah. You know, if that happens between Oakland and Jacksonville, you know, Sunday at 1 o'clock, you know, not many eyes, you know, uh, are on that or are in the stands watching. But this uh, – let me get back to the, uh, the James Conner injury. Uh, and you heard my uh, opening segment about the Steelers – I won't say inability because it's not inability, unwillingness to run the ball. And I realize – Disinterest maybe. Yeah, 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 this is too boring. It takes too long to get to the end zone. Um, and I understand you've got a Hall of Fame quarterback, a Hall of Fame wide receiver, a guy who's playing at a Pro Bowl caliber level uh, caliber level, in, in Juju. Uh, but a two-to-one ratio, even in this day and age – uh, and it's not an inability to run, as you heard me, the stats. It's not like they were averaging, you know, one and a half yards per carry. The times they ran the least, they were averaging over four yards. Um, do you agree that there's an imbalance here? I asked Tomlin about that, and, you know, he soft-soaped it. But, I mean, do you think there's an imbalance here? Well, I would like to see, um, you know, I believe that uh, for the Steelers to be effective as a football team, they need to be physical on both sides of the ball. Defense, obviously, uh, there are the, the connotations of what uh, stands for playing physical. I think we all understand those. But you can be physical on offense, too. And I, I think that one of the things that the team has gotten away from a little bit lately has been utilizing that offensive line to punish people. Uh, and you, and, I, and I don't, I'm not saying you go back to 1976 you know, where uh, the quarterback attempts 11 passes in a game because that's absurd based on the, the rules and the talent and how it's dispersed on this particular unit. So uh, I'm not saying that, but I do think that, you know, some of those guys, some in some situations, you need to take advantage of that. I mean, one of the, the, the prime examples to me, and it's a recent situation, was the last play in Denver. That run pass option. If 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 Ben gives it to James Conner, and I know the snap was a little off, and there, when they met, uh, there was a little bit of a, I don't know if it was timing or whatever. It wasn't smooth. But when you watch that play, Marquise Pouncey took that tackle over him and moved him so far back that he was in the throwing lane. 
I mean, that, that play, there was an opening there, clear. It was clear to see, and it's rare that you can really see, you know, in an NFL game down at the goal line, a clear path for the running back from the two-yard line or whatever it was, five yards deep into the end zone. I mean, it was you know, like Vince Lombardi would draw it up. We want a seal here and a seal here and run the ball in this alley. That alley was there. And so in those kinds of situations, you know, and it, it, uh, it happened, it was executed, and it happened perfectly in the game against the Chargers. When James Conner, his second touchdown run, he went a yard and a half into the end zone from the one-yard line and was not touched. I mean, how do you get not touched? Well, it's interesting you mentioned that. down there. Lesson learned because after what happened in Denver, on both the goal line situations, they ran the ball twice on each occasion, and on the second occasion, Rosie Nix was in the game. Uh, Also, just to go back to the Denver, on first down, the same thing applied. Your favorite play. The fade. (laughs) Hate the fade. It should be outlawed. It should be imprisoned. If there is a play prison somewhere in this country, that's where that play ought to go um unless harvey clayton is the defensive back who's five foot three then maybe but in the first down play and you know you're questioning ben's judgment things happen quickly out there but talking to tunch after watching the film he said it live in the broadcast if he hands the ball to connor on the first down play connor waltzes into the end zone but aside from the goal line stuff just in the middle of the field. I mean, they're running the ball well. It's been an integral part of their offense for a number of years now, and they just seem to have, fought, you know, I understand it's a passing game and the rules, uh, you know, comp- you know, here's, here's, I mean, and this is another, it kind of ties in uh, to the officiating stuff. It's 23-7 to seven early in that game, or early in the second half of that game. And what happens, Mike Tomlin talked about it, um, the, 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 the holding on Foster and the yeah. I mean, you know, all and if you watch, man, this is this is me again. If you watch these NFL games now, not just our games, because I'm not talking about that. If you watch games now, there seems to be a tendency by officials, in my estimation, I'll call it the keep it close penalty. And um, those are often uh, able to be called um, on running plays. Because if you look at um, the plays in the first, there were one, two, three, four, five. The sixth play of the second half was the penalty. The Steelers ran three of the first five times and moved the ball from their own 25 into into Chargers territory. Well, now you get a holding penalty on Ramon. The next two plays are passes, a punt, and then the Chargers have the ball. Yeah. They get on and score a touchdown, and you kept the game close because now it's 23-15. Yes. So, um, and again, I'm not not, uh, um, indicting the officials because I believe holding and those kind of things, that's really judgment because you can pretty much, despite what Tunch and Wolf might want you to believe, Offensive linemen hold, I would imagine, on the majority of plays. And so, you know, picking out one guy to throw a flag is pretty rudimentary, I would imagine. Well, you can always go to the old argument, but I hold all the time. I do it every play. You can't call a penalty on me. We're going to let that go. Um, I got about 30 seconds here. Do you think that because they're not running the ball as often, that that to a degree minimizes the loss of James Conner for however 
because they're they're not using him a lot anyway. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think that James Conner is useful in other ways. Yeah. He's not Le'Veon Bell out of the backfield, but he's pretty darn good, uh, especially on those dump-offs. I mean, then he shows a, a, a very good ability in my mind to take those, even though, even though he has to face the quarterback to catch it like a running back does. He then can get up the field pretty good. Um, and so I don't know if the other two guys can do that. I'm talking about Ridley and Jalen Samuels. So there's going to be a little bit of a loss there. And I also think that running the ball would have come back. You know, I think that sometimes it gets away from you a little bit. And you're too pass heavy, and then you kind of rein things in. Um, and so uh, the loss of James Conner is it's going to have an impact. Uh, it's up to the, the offensive players to minimize that as much as possible. Yeah, Oakland's one thing. New England will be quite another. Bob, thanks for spending so much time. Don't forget to read BobSteelers.com. He's going to get in there and talk about James Conner. Uh, he'll have that posted up fairly shortly. Thanks, Bob. Sure, Stan. All right, Bob Labriola, of course, from Steelers.com and the Steelers Radio Network. Join him and Jerry Dulac and Mike Prezut on the pregame show. When we return, more about the Steelers running game and we'll have this date in sports history and birthdays. That's all ahead on Saverin on Sports on ESPN Pittsburgh. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Balance going to Oakland. All that passing is a recipe for disaster. That's uh, what I've been talking about. All right, on this date in sports history, Major League Baseball instituted a player draft, a free agent player draft. It used to be you just went out and bid, and the Yankees got all the good players, and that's why they won. The draft started in 1965. On this date in 1982, the great Herschel Walker won the Heisman Trophy from the University of Georgia. He wasn't the only one to get his Heisman on this date. But I go through a lot on Saturdays and during the week, as most athletes do. You get your bumps and bruises, and it's a, a terrific battle out there in the field. And it, but it only for me, it's on Saturdays, and it's only in the fall. For Joseph, it's all year round. That is John Capaletti, Penn State running back. Got his heist on this date in his famous speech about his handicapped brother, Joey. That happened on this date in 1973, John Capaletti. Also on this date in 1997, Latrell Sprewell was suspended for a year from the NBA for choking his coach. They suspended him for P.J. Carlesimo. They suspended him for the entire year. How about birthdays today? Happy birthday goes to Detroit Red Wings great Hall of Famer Alex Del Vecchio. From the Red Wings, he's 87 years of age today. Happy birthday goes to Terry Glenn, former Ohio State wide receiver, played for the Patriots. He's 49. Happy birthday goes to Frank Reich. He's now the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. Frank Reich, who played at Buffalo behind Jim Kelly, is 57 today. A happy birthday goes to one of the great relief pitchers, in Major League Baseball history, Lee Smith. Big guy, boy, could he fire it. He's 61 today. And speaking about guys who can fire it. And got all three. Big Joe striking out Taylor, Muncy, and Grandal. What a start. Fire righty Joe Musgrove turns 26 today. I interviewed Joe Saturday at the hockey game. Good guy, Joe Musgrove of the Pirates, 26 today. Tomorrow on the program, we'll be talking to Josh Yoey about the trade involving 
Marcus Pedersen and Daniel Sprong talking some hockey. Jerry Dulac will join us at 1 p.m. That'll be tomorrow at noon, back to our normal starting time, our kickoff time. Thanks for joining me today on Saverin on Sports on ESPN Pittsburgh.